Hey guys, Sam Mellinger here uh, with the third episode. We're still going to call it an experiment, but Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The feedback so far has been great. I'm, I'm grateful to each and every one of you that's listened and, and sent in some feedback, and especially those of you who have called in with questions. I really appreciate it. We quite literally could not do this without you. Uh, we have another really good guest this week, Gary Woodland. He skipped the Masters to be on our show this week, right? He talked about what it's been like for him, you know, going through this period without golf, you know, when he thinks golf might be able to get back and what needs to happen between now and then. But I did want to talk about some actual sports, if we can do that. Two things. One, the Chiefs continue to make their way through what what I think is just an objectively successful offseason. They are basically bringing everybody back that, that won a Super Bowl. And look, I am very much in normal circumstances and, and in most circ- in most contexts against just trying to win it again with the guys that won it once. I believe that you need new blood, you need new motivation, you need all these other things. But there's a couple things here. One, the Chiefs are on the vast majority of their roster is, is pretty young. It's either guys at the age where you expect them to get even better or at the very top, it's guys that are on a pretty high plateau and, and, and they're specifically thinking of Travis Kelsey and Mitchell Schwartz. But the rest of that group, Tyron Matt, Matthew, uh, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Traverius Ward, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill. I mean, th- these are guys that are at an age where you can expect them to to be getting even better. So, you know, the big move this week, I think, was was Bashad Breeland, right? Um, bringing him back. And, and I am really surprised. I think I've talked about that here before and written about it. I'm surprised that, that there wasn't another team that wanted him for, you know, something like three years and $30 million. But the Chiefs got him back for one year in a contract that, that it looks like it'll pay him up to $4.5 million. And he was a really big part of what they did. And I think this is significant, got significantly better as, as the season went on. Uh, you know, he had a lot of penalties and some bad plays early on. But I think once he got the hang of what, you know, coordinator Steve Spagnuolo was, was looking for, he played terrifically down the stretch. You know, the, the, the game that I think of when I think of Breland is the, the game in New England. He was awful early, gave up some big plays, some penalties, just really terrible. And, and then recovered and, and they don't win the game without him. He had that terrific interception on Brady on the outside pass and then saved the game with the last play there in, in the end zone. So this is, you know, it just seems like the Chiefs, at least from my point of view, are doing all the things they need to do. The other big news this week is that Kansas and Missouri are working on apparently what would be a four-year series in football. This follows, obviously, you know, them getting back together in basketball. And there's a couple of things I take away from this. One is that, you know, that petty disagreement, the petty, like, we don't need you, screw you, you left us, like all that is is starting to fade away in the name of money here, because this is going to be pretty profitable, especially for KU. Um, That football program needs cash, you know, more than others. And I I know this isn't speculation. I know that this was in the works before, you know, this crazy, the the COVID-19 shutting sports down and and really putting a a shadow of uncertainty on, on what even the 2020 college football season can be. They were working on this before, but I think that if anything, you know, there's been even more of an emphasis for colleges to look at bankable, pun intended, I guess, um, you know, bankable certain ways that they can generate cash. And this is a hell of a way to do it for Kansas and Missouri. So, you know, look, a lot of you might know I've long wanted Kansas and Missouri to play. I mean, some of that is just selfish professional stuff, right? Like it's interesting to write about. But just personally, I think that that's what college sports should be about is, is these rivalries. And I'm looking forward to these teams getting together. I guess 
I'm looking forward to it more in basketball than football just because, you know, unless KU gets a lot better pretty soon, the football games aren't going to be very interesting. But either way, it's good to have both those schools playing again. So it was really nice to see that. Okay, guys, let's get to it. Starting off with your questions. Thanks again. And if you want to call in, you don't have to wait for me to, to make the call out during the week. You can call anytime, 816-234-4365. One more time, 816-234-4365. Just leave your first name, where you're calling from, and what you want to talk about. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. Hey, Sam, this is uh, Trey calling you from Liberty, Missouri. I asked these two questions on the minutes, and they didn't get answered, so I'm taking my shot at uh, try number two. Uh, the first was, did you watch the scheme and what are your thoughts um, on how this is going to change the NCAA investigation? The other question is, uh, was the tournament getting canceled actually a positive outcome for KU? Thought process on that is that now the NCAA has bigger concerns than focusing on the violations and, and the trial that's kind of in place right now with KU. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on both. Thanks. All right. Uh, well, first, Trey, thank you for doing it this way. I'm sorry we missed you with the written minutes, but I'm glad that you followed up and asked the question here. That's cool. I appreciate it. So can we do these in reverse? I like. I don't think that that this is good timing. I don't. I, I understand where you're coming from. That you know priorities are shifting or whatever. But I, I just don't think it's not who the NCAA has shown us that it is. That like th- that track record does not suggest that now they're going to lay off. You know, they might. Um, I really doubt it. And if they do, I think it's a departure from what that organization has shown itself to be. Um, I do think that it is, you know, it was terrible timing for Kansas because, you know, there are people in and around that university that expect at least a postseason ban when when these punishments come down. So now all of a sudden you're you're effectively having a a two-year postseason ban, one of which... You know, you, you think that you had a very realistic chance at a national championship, and that'll be a hypothetical that, you know, we'll never know the answer to. So I understand where you're coming from. It's, 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 a, it's a fair point. I just think that it's not who the NCAA has, has shown us to be. Your first question, I did see the scheme, and I thought it was great. I thought it was terrifically done. It's a documentary about, you know, basically the, the, uh, the FBI investigation and told largely through uh, the experience and, and the words of Christian Dawkins, who was one of the kind of central figures and, you know, unwittingly was given a lot of information to FBI agents that became central to that case. And, you know, this, this might just be confirmation bias, but I found myself nodding my head a lot during that show, just because I feel like it was showing the investigation to be what I, and I'm not alone in this, but some of us had always thought it to be, which is, you know, a really bizarre cause for the FBI to take up, you know, based on some flimsy evidence, based on some reaches, some apparent reaches, I should say, I should say it comes across that way in the documentary, you know, and, and also they didn't really get into this too much, a little bit, but I just don't understand spending the FBI, the FBI spending that much time, energy, money, resources into regulating a market that has been created by the NCAA's arbitrary, outdated rules that benefits nobody except for the NCAA. That now, all of a sudden, when there's some money that's being exchanged based on you know value set by the market, that's a literal federal crime where 
but we're inside of a sport where much more money than that is exchanged all the time and and not always to benefit student athletes you know coaches have 50 million dollar contracts and and you know the NCAA tournament is a billion dollar business and you know the travel like all these things and that's all fine but you better keep the shoe companies out even though they're they're also some you know basically bankrolling the whole sport it's just I don't know how that system is sustainable. And that's kind of been my hope all along is that the investigation, that all this stuff would just show what a sham this all is and that there's some some really fundamental changes that need to take place for the sport to have credibility. And, you know, to I, I love college basketball, but it's, it's, it's hard to get across or get past some of these credibility problems. And, and I thought that the scheme showed that pretty powerfully, and, and I hope that story that, uh, you know, keeps being told. Hi, Sam. This is Will calling from Lenexa, Kansas, um, data analyst for Stern. So just wanted to give you a couple of uh, topics. So the first one was if you want to talk about, give you a chance to talk about Joe Pizmanski's top 100 for baseball for at the Athletic, even though it's the Athletic, but I'll give it a good chance to celebrate some awesome baseball writing, even if it's on a separate paper. Secondly, you always want to talk about how to bring more young people into watching baseball. And if baseball were to start its season after July or, say, August 1st, how would you change the schedule or anything inside of baseball, say, creating a March Madness-style tournament for all the teams, right along those lines, to get more of the country involved in the sport? Thanks, Sam. Really appreciate appreciate your writing. Uh, looking forward to hearing more of these podcasts. Thanks. Okay, uh, Will. Thank you first for uh, for the nice words. Um, let's do these in order. There's look. There's been a ton of great stories to read during the sports hiatus, during this delay, whatever. And uh, Joe's top 100 countdown is sort of, you know, it's it's. Beautiful writing, right? First of all, it's a really good combination of, of interest or ed- education, information, and, and just fun too. And it's also like the accidental perfect thing for this time in a lot of ways. And, you know, it, look, it was great that he was doing it anyway. And he was doing it long before, you know, he started this long before the coronavirus was a thing. But, and I'm expecting it to be a book at some point, honestly. But the season's delay does create a vacuum, you know, for those of us that love the sport. And, you know, again, there's great stuff being done on all sports. A lot of good college basketball stuff right now, you know, football, NBA. I mean, there's just the the games have stopped, but the content, the writing hasn't. And and that's been fun to see. But I I really do think that Joe's is the best thing going right now. I mean, you, you can read them all. You can just pick your favorites or the ones you're most interested in. I mean, to me, the uh, Stan Musial, George Brett. Ted Williams, Bo Jackson, those are my favorites so far. But look, I recognize my inherent bias on all this. The second part that you ask about, you know, how to spread baseball to younger fans. I think about this a lot. And, uh, you know, I don't know that there's anything specific. It sounds like you're asking, like, you know, once they come back on the other side of this, you know, is there something that, that baseball can do when it's back specifically in that moment to appeal to younger fans? And I don't think so. You know, maybe I'm missing something. And if any of you guys have some ideas, you know, please feel free to share. But I, just, I don't think that there's something that the sport should change. I don't know if this is like my transition into being like a crotchety old man or whatever. But I, I think that baseball doesn't need to feel forced to make these 
you know, enormous fundamental like seismic changes in the game. I, I think it's okay if baseball can be a little old school, if baseball can, you know, sort of take you back in time a little bit. I, I think that that can be an appeal in some ways. And, you know, look, like if you're asking about this season specifically, the season will be shortened, obviously, and considerably so. I mean, I think at this point, you know, it's, it's unlikely that they can get more than 120 games. And, and that's probably pretty optimistic. I think it'll end up being significantly less than that. But, I, you know, still, I don't think that they should experiment too much, you know? I mean, you mentioned like a March Madness-style tournament. And, you know, maybe that would be fun for some, and I'm going to watch no matter what. But, you know, to me, that would feel inauthentic, you know, kind of meaningless. I love March Madness. It's my favorite sporting event of the entire year. And, and part of the appeal is that, you know, George Mason can go to the final four, right? And that, you know, number one Duke can lose in the second round or whatever. But that's not baseball. Like, that's not what Major League Baseball has been. That's not what Major League Baseball, you know, that it's not what we've come to enjoy about it. And I, I, I think it would be a leap, a departure from, you know, what the sport is about. And, and I think it would feel, again, just kind of inauthentic and meaningless. I, I don't know what that championship would mean. You know, so look, like something real is going to be lost no matter what with the shortened season, right? I mentioned, you know, it's, I think it's good if you, if you care about this kind of thing primarily. It's good for the Royals postseason chances, you know. Um, you know, the, the shorter the season, the bigger the chance for upsets. Think about 2003, you know, the great fluke of 2003, you know, when a team that signed Jose Lima from an independent league, sight unseen because they had heard that his fastball was touching like 84, like that team was in first place after 124 games. You know, they fell off pretty quickly after that. And I think that's a pretty good, you know, sort of local example of, of, of how important a, a longer season is to identify the best teams. But look, to, to answer your question a little bit, the stuff I think that baseball could do to appeal to a younger and broader audience, it's not specific to this pandemic. Like, you know, look, I, I believe, and I think I've written this before, I believe all stadiums should have like 5,000 tickets minimum every game set aside as like family specials where, with deep discounts, vouchers for concessions and parking, that kind of thing. You know, I, I understand the business argument that you don't want to devalue your product I know that's something that, that's very important, like Sporting Kansas City's model, for instance. And, and I think that's part of the appeal for them when they moved into the smaller stadium instead of having, you know, 75,000 or whatever at Arrowhead. You don't devalue your product as much. You don't give away your tickets for free. And, you know, what I'm thinking of with these, you know, heavily discounted tickets and vouchers and stuff, like that might very well cost teams in the short run. I don't know that it would, though, because I think you'd be bringing in fans that are going to stay home otherwise. But, you know, the... Either way, even if it does cost money in the short term, there's no way, I don't think, that you I'll be, keep an open mind if you got something for me, but I, I'd be hard to be convinced that making those games more accessible for families and kids does not eventually turn into some of those kids becoming adult baseball fans with disposable income that they now want to spend at the ballpark because that's what they did as a kid. I mean, that's what I am now. You know, and, and if my family was priced out of baseball as a kid, uh, you know, I'd feel a hell of a lot differently than I do now. And, you know, look, I also think that Major League Baseball could do a lot with technology. Um, you know, I think we saw briefly during spring training, and it's probably been forgotten by now, but how cool it was in some broadcasts when they had players mic'd up during games and, and even during plate appearances. I know they, they'd done some of that in, in like all-star games with outfielders. 
But this was players mic'd up, you know, during plate appearances, and they're able to like talk the audience through, you know, kind of what they're thinking. That was amazingly cool, you know, like give us more of that. You know, look like <laughs> baseball rosters, you wouldn't know it by watching the game sometimes, but baseball rosters are full of funny guys, big personalities, and but the culture of the sport has long suppressed that. And I just, I, I, that needs to change. You know, that needs, that, that needed to change 20 years ago. And it certainly needs to change now. And look, I, I don't mean to just sit here and bash Major League Baseball. They have a hard job. It's a big job. And, and I think they've done some great things, you know, particularly with technology. I think the stat cast, stat cast stuff is great. It's informative. Um, it, it's fun. Um, I love that stuff. They were ahead of all the other big time leagues and pushing online presence. But, you know, there's an irony here that in some ways being ahead of the curve on that stuff is, I think, stunting them at the moment. Because when Major League Baseball developed its streaming system, and a lot of this was spearheaded by the late David Glass, by the way, it des- it decided that the, the revenue would be split evenly between the 30 teams. That was a great idea then, and it's a great idea now. It increases revenue sharing. But you know, part of me, and I don't know that there's a way to, to determine this for sure, but I can't help but think that the commissioner's office seeing BAM, they call it, seeing uh, you know, the streaming service and all this stuff as, as a revenue source first and not as a way to spread the game, I can't help but think that that's gonna have some negative effects long-term. Um, you know, younger fans wanna watch on phones and other devices, um, you know, if they're at home, watching it on TV, maybe it's through a streaming service. And, and the blackout restrictions that Major League Baseball has mean that fans wanting to watch their hometown team are either out of luck or they need to jump through some hoops and, and, and get a VPN or whatever. And, you know, those are exactly the kinds of fans that Major League Baseball should be courting, um, you know, not keeping away. And look, I know it's easier for me to sit here and shoot out ideas than it is for Rob Manfred to go through the unintended consequences and all that. I know it's easier for me to, you know, dismiss the short-term financial effects, right, than it is for the owners and, and, and the players too. But I, I also think that the suits should have, you know, a little bit more fan in them. You know, and and I think that uh, they should be thinking more about growing the sport's popularity and reach rather than specifically just the revenue. And I look, I again, I I got an open mind, but I can't help. But if they thought that way more, they might end up growing the revenue just the same, or perhaps even more. You know, uh, these are all things that can be done on the other side of this pandemic and deep into the future. I hope so, anyway. Okay, this was cool for me. This is the first time I believe that I've talked to Gary Woodland. He is the reigning U.S. Open champion, a Topeka, Kansas native. Started in college playing uh, college basketball before switching to golf and is the 18th ranked player on the PGA Tour. I talked to Gary. He was at a home in Florida. I mean, we talked a lot about we talked about a lot of stuff. How he's filling his days, uh, when he's coming back to uh, to Kansas City, and a lot of other things. So, anyway, this was a conversation that I really enjoyed, and and, and I hope you do too. Thank you. Okay, you there? Yep. All right, great. So I'm catching you. Are you traveling? We we have a place in South Florida, so we've just been hanging out down here for the last couple of weeks. Weather's amazing, and then weather hopefully starts getting a little warmer back home. Here it's nice today, and we'll come back to Kansas Is this- for. The rest, of, rest of the summer. Uh, I know this isn't what you'd be doing this week, right? Obviously, but no. Um, are, are you there um, we, we because it's a good place to isolate? Or? We come back to Kansas usually 
around June 1st. Yeah. And we spend, we're in Kansas usually like June till beginning of October. And then we came back, we come back down to Florida. Cool. So we spend most of the year in South Florida. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a different week. Uh, obviously, are, are you thinking about sort of where you should be? Is that hard to get off your mind right now? To be honest with you, so I've been off for three weeks. It's, it's nice. Um, you know, in the game we play, we don't really have an off season because our sure. our season ends um, right before Labor Day, and then we start two weeks after that for our next season. So technically, our biggest break would be two weeks if if that's the way you wanted to play. So having a mandatory break right now um, for an extended period of time is is nice for the body, the mind. Um, nice to spend time with family. So. I've been off a little over, I guess, three and a half weeks now since we stopped playing. I haven't touched a club, uh, which is the longest I've gone um, since I had surgery in 2009. So I usually don't take much time off, but uh, I've been hitting the gym hard at my house, been spending nice time with the family, um, and trying to get my mind and body right and rested, uh, knowing that at the end of this year, hopefully when everything calms down a little bit, I'm going to have a busy year. So it's been nice. Um, I really haven't missed it, to be honest with you, but being the biggest week of the year for us in the Masters, um, it's the first time I've had the golf channel on. I've uh, been wearing Masters, you know, sweaters this the last <laughs> couple of days. Now I'm starting to miss it, and uh, I'll I'll definitely be touching the club here in the next couple of days. But it's uh, this is a big week for us, and it's it's unfortunate we're missing it, but uh, it's exciting that they they didn't cancel and they were able to postpone and hopefully get there at the end of the year. Yeah, well, what's the coolest part about playing in that tournament? What what do you miss the most this week? You know, it's the tradition. It's the the golf course is obviously perfect and speaks for itself. But the patrons, as they call them, are are so respectful. There's no phones in there, so you don't have any really distractions. Um, there's nobody really yelling. Everybody's so respectful. You know, the the food is is so cheap for everybody. My family loves coming. My friends love to come. Uh, we rent a house. You know, pretty much the same house every year. I got my friends and family in the house. Uh, we have a chef, and we just we hang out at home. It, it's it, it's golf at you know the probably the most special place in America, and then uh, we go and spend time with family and friends at home. It's it's a stressful week and a relaxing week all in one. Um, yeah. And on top of that, like I said, the tradition and history of the Masters is uh, is cool as it gets. This might sound like a weird question, but um, if you have that same house every year, how, when did you cancel it, or did you? Did yeah, you when they, how, how late did you wait? We knew. Um, that they were going to postpone for a while. And when they made that announcement, we reached out. The homeowners were awesome and, and great to work with and told us that we would have the house if they decided to postpone. So we're going to have the house in November, which is great. Uh, it's a great setup. And, you know, it's just nice going back to the same place and somewhere sure. you feel like home. So it's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the not touching the club thing is interesting to me. Um, are, are you doing that intentionally? Like you said, it'll be you know, hopefully it, it'll be very busy once you start playing again. Is this just sort of a, you know, exhale? Um, so you have as many good swings in you as possible, or is it just kind of a break, or how are you approaching that? It's a couple of things. One, like, I, I don't do well with just practicing a little bit. I like to grind. Um, yeah. Knowing that I, I never have that much time off, so I'm always grinding. Knowing that I'm off, you know, for an extended period of time, and I, I think they're going to push the tour back even farther, and, you know, I could be off for another nine weeks. It'd be hard for me to go grind every day for nine for twelve weeks in a row without playing. Um, yeah. 
the, the golf, the tournaments are easy. It's the practice at home when you're grinding and trying to get better and you're working on things. That's where it, it gets tough sometimes, especially on the body. So, um, I've used this time. I'm down a lot of weight. I'm trying to get my body healthy. You know, you travel and you deal with a lot of nicks and knacks and, you know, yeah. everybody's playing with something, I'm trying to get the body healthy. I feel great. And the mind, you know, you got to rest that mind sometimes grinding sure. over and over just wears you out more mentally, I guess, sometimes than physically. So, it's been a nice break, but also the golf courses are closed down here. So I don't have a place to practice. I have a little chipping green and putting green, I guess, in my backyard um, that I, I'm looking at and tempted now the Masters week to go out and hit a couple of chips and putts. But when I get back to Kansas, um, I have a full simulator in my basement and a putting green and the golf courses are open. So when I get back next week, I'll be able to start practicing as soon as I get out of isolation, I guess, or quarantine um, yeah. from traveling. But, um, it'll be nice knowing then that I have, you know, just say six weeks to prepare before my next tournament. I can set, I'll sit down with my coaches this weekend. Actually, we already have a plan call to sit down and put a game plan together on how I'm going to attack this practice, how I'm going to work on certain things. So it's been a nice break from that too, where I can sit down with my coaches, kind of reassess where we're at, what we need to work on, um, and come out, you know, feeling like I'm in top shape, like my game was trending, uh, before the stoppage. Yeah, for sure. Um, are, are you able to, you know, like <laughs> this is not normal for any of us, right? And I think all of us sure. have found yeah. little differences and some of them are good. You know, some of them are, oh, man, I got more time to do this. Are you finding anything like that? I don't know if it's whether it's a, you know, a TV show, a book to read, just more time with, with your family. What, what are you doing more of that you don't have time for usually? The, part of the, the training is I, I, I never have time to really lift hard because you know like i said i'm always really in season so it's been nice to to do some different things with my body to get my body a little stronger um feel a little bit better for a big stretch that we have coming up i mean i potentially have a couple majors Ryder cup tour championship all within about a month and a half so i'm going to have some big events at the end of the year um and outside of that like i said i don't get an off season most sports get three three months let's just say sure before they get back to work i'm I have two, three weeks max. So for me to be able to spend eight weeks at home with the family, you know, we're, we kind of got into a routine. I'm a big routine guy. So for you take my golf away in my routine, uh, we put some routines together. We go on a family walk every morning with the dog and the three kids. And I train at, at 11, you know, then I, my kids take a nap. I get a, my wife and I get some quiet time. And then the kids get out at two 30 and we go to the pool outside in our backyard every day. And, um, dinner and then we watch a movie at night. So it's been nice for, I would never be able to do that. If I'm practicing, you know, I'm, I'm training in the morning and I'm at the golf course all day. I get home for my kids dinner, see them at dinner time. And then I, it's time for me to eat, go to bed and do it over again. So I'm doing a lot more. I think it's great for my son. Obviously my girls are really young, um, and, and they don't know too much better, but it's nice for me to spend time with my son and do things we normally wouldn't be able to do when I'm home, um, versus being on the road. Yeah, it is a cool thing, right? I mean, like for for those of us who are lucky enough to to be able to do that, right? But um, you know, you just get a little bit more time. Do you, I mean, do you, do you feel closer um, to your kids, closer to your wife? Than, no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I've talked to some of my friends who, whose kids are older in school, and you know how stressed they are with their, trying to teach their kids homeschool. You know, fortunately, I don't have to do that right now. It's we're playing all day. It's uh, my right. kids aren't in school. So I get to enjoy time with my son that I'll, I'll never get again. Um, you know, I mean, unless we have this another pandemic, which, you know, would be a shock to everything. 
I'm not going to get this time back. And so this is uh, my son and I, my wife said last night, my son's becoming a daddy's boy. It's, it's one of those deals where we've definitely been able to grow over the last three weeks. And, yeah. you know, for the next foreseeable future, uh, we'll be able to do the same, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, did, did I hear you right that you're wondering if the schedule will have to get pushed back even more? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I would imagine. I think the tour is going to announce something shortly. Um, okay. You know, there's just so much going on, and there's just so much uncertainty. Obviously, they came out and said some dates for the majors, um, but still, that's up in up in the air. I I think we will be able to get back before most most sports, just being outside, less contact. Um, but I think we come back without fans for a while. Yeah. And uh, but I I hope we can get back out. I think the world. Um, need something, some type of entertainment, um, something to look forward to. Sports brings a lot of people together through a lot of tragedies and adversities, and it's something people can look to um, to kind of take their minds off things. And right now, you, you really don't have that. Um, and so hopefully we can get back out there sooner than later and sooner than a lot of sports and uh, bring some and excitement and entertainment to people. Yeah, I mean, especially it seems like in the last week or so, there's been, and, and who knows, maybe it's just what I've been reading and thinking about, right? But uh, it seems like there's been a lot of talk and a lot of stories written about, you know, when and if baseball yeah. can come back and if the NFL yeah. can kick off on time. And I get, like, there's a million, like, logistical nightmares involved in that. But your sport seems to be set up in a way that, that you could get back online a little bit faster. What From from your point of view, I know the decision is, is made above your head, right? But... Um, what what do you think needs to be in place or, or you know, what what would need to be in place for you to feel good about about going back? Yeah, I think the, the big deal, and I've heard this through a lot of other sports, is the testing issue. Um, yeah. You know, because obviously we're not as close contact as a lot of other sports, but we are in contact with, you know, our caddies. You start walking through a, the locker room and you have, you have dining, you have people that, you know, are there that help function and make a golf tournament work. We're not just showing up out of our cars and going to the first tee. Sure. Right. There's a lot of a lot of people that are involved in that. So, without testing, and you know, obviously everybody's short on testing. You talk, about, you hear about it all the time on the news. It, it's it's tough for the country to open back up. It's tough for entertainment to come back without people having access to testing because sure. one person tests is positive in the locker room, and all of a sudden it spreads quickly, mm-hmm. and now you're going to have a mass shutdown uh, with you know with some some players being sick or caddies being out. Um, logistically, it could be a nightmare. And we don't want to yeah. get to a point either where a lot of sports could maybe just go to a place and stay and play. We travel all over the country. So we also don't want to get into a spot where we're starting one week and can't play the next week. So, right. you know, that's where the, the commissioners, he's actually reached out. He, I've talked to the commissioner. He's talked to a lot of players, um, checking in, seeing their, their opinions, which is awesome. Um, you know, I've sure. been on two, 12 years. I've never had the commissioner call me out of the blue and ask how I was doing and ask what what I thought about what was going on. So he's getting opinions of players and how they're feeling. And, you know, we're, we're all anxious to get back, but we want to do it the right way. And I do think golf can get back before a lot of sports um, if we do it the right way. And I don't completely know what that is, but I do think we'll get back without fans. And um, we've played without fans before. So for us and for most of us, it wouldn't be – that much different um yeah. and obviously ratings on tv with nobody else everything else going on ratings would be through the roof so that'd be good as sure. well yeah um yeah i mean i think obviously you mentioned this a couple of times no fans but what, what other precautions 
could you imagine happening? I mean, like the no handshakes, right? Um, yeah, there'd be no know. handshakes. You you would have to. I would imagine we go to electronic scoring instead of you know keeping yeah. a scorecard and handing it back and forth between people. I think you would cut back on. You would have a lot more restrictions in the locker room. Um, you know, with players gathering together, you would have a lot more restrictions on on what we do. You might be eating in your car and then going, you know, straight to the practice range. Um, there would be a lot more, obviously without fans, you would have less volunteers. You would have a lot less people out at the golf course, mm-hmm. which would help. Um, but you know, we, we, we have rules officials and marshals and, and all this stuff going on, which I'm sure they would try to cut back a little bit and, uh, be a little more lackadaisical, I think on, on, some things that are so uptight, usually at golf tournaments with security and everything, I think they would cut back on the amount of people that are at a tournament um, sure. outside of the fans, which would be different. You know, we've, like I said, we've played without fans before, but we've never played out without player dining and, <laughs> you know, security everywhere you walk. Uh, I yeah. think it would be more security on the outside of the golf course with, instead of inside. Yeah. It'd be weird as hell, but it'd be like <laughs> the most anticipated golf. For sure. That, no doubt about that it. I can remember. Yeah, it'd be fun. Um, okay. Well, cool. Um, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to bro. do this. Um, yeah. So you, you said you'll be back here we get back next here. week? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, hey, maybe this is a uh, an idea that there's a, you know, it's just like a no-go or anything. But um, when you play back here if it's just a, a practice round would you mind me following you around from a safe distance yeah you got it uh, i don't know when I'll, i think i'm they want me to quarantine for a little bit obviously traveling yeah. but i'll get out um i got a lot of buddies in kansas city that are that are playing and dying to play so I'll, when i do play yeah. i'll probably come over to kansas city anyway so yeah i'll uh definitely reach out in a couple of weeks and we'll figure it out okay that'd be awesome that'd be awesome okay it, well stay bro. safe man i appreciate it you as well bro we'll talk to you okay soon. thanks again Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, And especially thank you to Savannah Smith, who this week did 96.8% of the actual work uh, to make this sound passable. So um, anyway, thanks again to to Gary Woodland and to everybody that's sending questions. Hope to do it again next week. Uh, Again, 816-234-4365. 816-234-4365. Stay safe. Be good.